Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live, and tonight we have special guest Owen Edgerton. Let's see, writer, director, actor, producer. You've done the whole nine yards. <laughs> How you doing, Owen? I'm good. It's really good to be here. You, you forgot to mention dancer. I'm a hell of a dancer, too. So. <laughs> we have to add that to your resume here as well. Uh, love the Halloween poster in the background. Oh, thanks. It's actually, funny enough, it's Halloween 4. I love Halloween usually, 4. Me too. It's uh, it's like, it, it is very close to my heart. Uh, and I, I love Halloween 4. So it's, and that was a gift from a dear friend. Yeah. Because uh, I, I think it might be my favorite of all of them. <laughs> you know, Halloween 4, it's funny, you know, it's the first one after Halloween uh, 3, which is Season of the Witch, which is totally not Michael Myers. And then decided smartly to bring back Michael Myers. And I loved Halloween 4. And uh, I just, I love the way they brought Michael back, him in the hospital. And uh, I remember that scene when he's being uh, tracked away in the ambulance. And the paramedics talk about a surviving niece. And you see him clutching. Uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was awesome, awesome. Uh, I think he was like, I, I saw it, like, I, I saw it on video when I must have been, I don't know, 15, maybe 16, I'm not even sure. Uh, but for whatever reason, that was like the movie was like, I love this. Mm -hmm. And I'd watched horror movies before, and I'd been into horror movies for a while, I guess. But for that, for whatever reason, that like, that grabbed me in a, such a fun way. Like, it was. this is violent and weird and cool, and I freaking love it. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. So you have a little bit of a horror resume yourself. So uh, how far are, are you a lifelong horror fan? Uh, yeah, I think I am. You know, it's funny enough, like I, I, I didn't start, you know, even when I started writing for film, uh, I wasn't writing for horror, but I always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I became a horror fan way early on as a kid watching, I guess, the first couple of memories were like, secretly watching my bloody valentine yeah watching the shining on tv with my parents and being freaked out but not understanding why um especially because it seemed like such a low body count yeah <laughs> like, yeah and like why is this so scary it's Only a psychological like the... part right exactly my first uh, memory of a horror film now back i grew up i was born and raised in new york city and cable tv did not come to new york till 1987 but what we had i don't know if you you this might be before your time there was a service called wht it got swallowed up by hbo and basically it was a little box that they had installed in your home it only became active at eight o'clock at night and it was just movies from 8 o'clock to like about in the early morning hours. And my first horror movie I watched was the original Halloween on WHT. And I have just vivid memories of that opening scene of the hand opening the drawer, grabbing the knife, putting the mask on, going up the stairs and murdering his sister. That is yeah. my first memory of horror. That's a great first memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your stuff. Bloodfest, uh, great movie. You did everything. You directed it, wrote it, uh, even had a part in it, and you produced as well, correct? 
Uh, I wasn't officially one of the producers. I don't think I was. Uh, I wasn't one of the producers, but I, I work pretty tightly uh, with the producers that I'm lucky enough to work with. Um, but they've got skills like math that I don't have. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. So when it came to Bloodfest, was it entirely your a concept when you wrote it? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the original concept was basically like, you know, I, I love this thing called Fantastic Fest here in Austin, where I live. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved working with, I've, I've worked with the Alamo Draft House, which you guys have also uh, in New York. and But it started here in Austin. And I have been working with them a lot of times doing comedy shows for them and hosting uh, screenings of films and doing something called Master Pancake and uh, the Mr. Sinus Show, where we're, we're, we're making fun of movies or watching movies in weird ways. You know, we're, we're watching Jaws, but, um, but, but people are watching from inner tubes floating on a river. We did a screening of, um, of, of, uh, like a different, like, uh, of deliverance, yeah. but on the long, like along a river where everyone had canoed to get there. We did a screening of speed, but we were on a bus that we had rented just driving around trying to keep the speed you know up and and for for that i was like i love the idea of any time a movie kind of seeps out into the real world mm -hmm. and uh i came up with the idea of like wouldn't it be fun to go to like a dream festival where everyone was watching the movies but you could just walk around those screamscapes those horror landscapes that we recognize from these movies um and i started going from there and i started working with uh, one of my favorite producers, Seth Kaplan, and then uh, with Ryan Hall from Rooster Teeth, and we kind of developed it. Of like, this would just be a blast to make. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast, and it's a great movie. Uh, that role that you had, did you write it with you in mind, or did you just happen to just do it? Uh, um, well, I, I, knew, I knew it was a role I would love to do, um, but actually, I didn't, I wasn't officially cast as the role into about uh, a week and a half into filming. Yeah. <laughs> so we, there was the, basically the idea of like, I, I loved the role and it would be super fun. And I, I have done acting and then, but it was kind of the idea like, well, if we can get someone who was <laughs> much cooler than me, <laughs> then let's get someone much cooler than me. Uh, but in the end, I think I was lucky enough that we didn't get someone much cooler than me and I was allowed to do it. <laughs> It's always it's good very to similar be on the to screen. how I feel about my marriage. <laughs> very lucky nobody cooler showed up. Exactly. I feel the same way sometimes. Now, there was some very well-placed uh, light humor in the film. Uh, was that all written in the script? Was it ad-libbed? How did that come to be? Let's see. Um, well, a, a lot of it was written in the script. But we, we did leave, and I, I love to do this when directing, I love to leave a lot of room open for what are the best ideas just coming through. I, I remember reading about you know Romero uh, and doing uh, Dawn of the Dead of just like, okay, everybody, what, what's another idea? And someone yelling, what about a, a pie fight with the zombies? Like, let's do it. And, and of course, you see that yeah. uh, in the cut. It's like, well, that's pretty brilliant. Like, just letting people contribute. Um, so, like, there's some great ideas and some great one-liners that came from the actors, that came from the crew, um, that uh, that just came from people just being excited to be there. I think a lot about Nick Rutherford. You know, Nick Rutherford was in our cast, and, um, he, and he plays Lenjamin, and he is so funny. 
and it was like it would be a crime to not let him just improv a few takes and just say the funniest things that come into his head because it's yeah, so great. It is. It is. Now, um, how did it feel taking on a, a, a genre that's very difficult when you try to put some lightheartedness into a horror movie? It's a very fine balance and you pulled it off quite nicely, but it does offer you some freedom because it's not really done as often as people might think. Uh, did it allow you creative freedom to try different stuff and utilize different methods? You know, it was, it was a funny thing. I got to say, I, it was something I think I discovered in the process of making the film of how much, how much we actually love the fun of horror. Um, you know, when we made it a couple of, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I think we were still in this phase of like, gosh, uh, isn't amazing and hereditary is so incredible. The lighthouse is so moving, and we love the the witch is wild. We love and I oh movies I love, um, none of which we would call fun. No. We wouldn't call fun. But I remember that when I think back to my childhood, it's like it's it's Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, Jason Lives, that I love because it's fun and it's funny and it's fast and it's gory and it's scary but at the top of the bill it's fun um and i think i i I kind of rediscovered that even while making the film like oh yeah a horror film that's fun that that, for me that's often the horror film that i rewatch again and again and again you know i had tom matthews as a guest and he was the lead in friday the 13th part six and i told tom Part six for me is like the last great Friday the 13th movie Uh, because I feel exactly the same way you do about it. It's a fun movie from the beginning of, you know, his character, Tommy, going apeshit on Jason's corpse and him wanting to make Yeah, yeah. Him wanting to make sure he's dead actually brings him back to life, Frankenstein style. So, I mean, that was a total awesome honor to get to talk to him. Um, is there a special balance that you got a, you know, a, a tightrope you got to walk when balancing humor with horror? I think so. I mean, for me personally, I'm like, I think horror and humor have a lot in common. There's like a, the setup, the setup, the expectation, the punchline. And, um, and there's also, you know, that, that beautiful sort of suspense that is sort of drawn out in a joke or in a jump scare. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I think there's a, they, those two have a bunch in common. I think where, gosh, where, where horror, like I, I, I'm not usually a fan if horror too clearly winks at the audience. I think what I mean by that, it says, you know what, don't care if people die. Yeah, uh, I, I think that that can be like, oh gosh, I kind of lose it a little bit sometimes when horror says, "Don't care if people die." Yeah, um, when you lose the stakes, I think you lose some of the scares, um, and that is a thin line. And I, I wouldn't know exactly how to define it. Yeah, um, but, but, but I'm with you that it, that is a thin I, line. And I, I would a, think it's like instinctual. Like you can't so. really, you can't really put put it into words. It's just a feeling of what might and might not work, you know? Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, uh, Bloodfest also tackles what I would call some like social commentary issues like violence and media. Uh, how important was this to you? 
Well, I mean, one of the big things, you know, even when talking to Tate Donovan, who, you know, bit of a spoiler, but uh, plays our villain. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've, I've always been uh, slightly irritated and amused by uh, media folks who are like, oh, gosh, this these horror movies are causing our violence. Uh, which is a little bit like saying that mirror makes my hair look bad. You're like, you know, uh, maybe maybe the source is somewhere outside of the mirror. Exactly. Um, you know, and so I think there's something telling of like in our movie as as Tate and I were putting it, it was like, well, gosh, the the real scary villain in this world that we created of monsters and zombies and slashers. It's us. Actually, the worst villain happens to be. A white man with a gun and a sense of privilege. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I think it says a lot for our world. It today. does. It does. Uh, when you're working in horror, uh, are you a total practical effects guy when it comes to the blood and gore? I, lo- I love the practical effects. Uh, so, like on, on Bloodfest, we got to work with uh, Hogfly and uh and meredith johns and her group who i love to work with and i think she told me that we had like the record of the amount of blood like by gallon like in any texas made film i was like i think she said we're really close i'm like well add a couple of gallons because we're (laughs) we're gonna make it make it um we did use a bit of cgi to to sort of augment it to add on to it a little bit and that's i think basically how i love to work i'm like use practical effects get it out there it's so much more fun to watch it's so much more fun to feel Uh, it's actually quite honestly it's so much more fun to film i just love it um but then i'm also cool with like and then you can come in in the same way you're gonna color a film you're gonna add the sound effects so if you can improve it a little bit with uh, special effects oh, yeah. on the, the, that side, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, use all the tools at your disposal. How do the actors feel about getting all messy with the blood? <laughs> <laughs> they seemed okay at the time. <laughs> there were there were a couple of extras. I remember being a little surprised with how <laughs> how bloody they got. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, I think it's why what I was saying again about like it being so fun to film. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know, I, I definitely know there are some filmmakers who are almost all CGI. So all the blood is CGI. And and that's cool. And, and, you know, hats off to them. But, man, I do love the thrill for everyone, actors most importantly, of the actual sp- spray of blood, the physical sensation. Like, oh, my God, they just got into my face and some got into my mouth. Ah! That's great. I'll tell you what. I've spoken to dozens and dozens of filmmakers. I have yet to talk to one who would pick CGI over practical effects when it comes to blood or gore. Yeah. You know, it's all the same. Practical effects all the way. Not only in the fun factor, but there's just something that makes it more authentic when it comes through on the screen. Do you agree with that? Oh my gosh! You know, I, I'm uh, I, I teach some courses for Sundance, and I, I teach like a horror screenwriting. And during it, we watch some of my favorite horror movies. And one of them that we're going to be watching for like the first class is The Thing, John mm-hmm. Carpenter's mm-hmm. Thing. And the effects in The Thing are so damn good, and they're so practical. Um, I I would hate to replace those no. with cgi you just no. couldn't 
it just wouldn't feel the same. No, it wouldn't. It absolutely wouldn't. Uh, when in the film, when you know you were working on different themes of the festival itself, was there a particular thought process or a sequence that went into that? Um, you know, I think I think a, a lot of it as we were making the film, we made the film pretty quickly. Uh, from from uh, sort of basically knowing we we're going to make it to writing the script to filming, it happened to be like there's a window to make this film, and 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 part of my thought was make it a gauntlet. I was actually a little bit thinking of uh, the Warriors. Oh, I love the Warriors. Me too. Oh love man, we, with uh, oh my god, Ajax, and man, you bring back some memories here. Yeah, James yeah. Remar. Oh. It's it's just so good. And my thing is like, just make a gauntlet. Make some some kids that you like, and then say you have to get from point A in hell to point B in hell. <laughs> and and that was you know that was a lot of it. And and then it was like okay, and what are the worlds that we can afford to make under our budget, uh, and and the locations that I had available to me. Um, and that was a. Uh, that was sort of what made it, you know, there was definitely like a bunch of other horror worlds uh-huh. that I would love to have visited. Um, and maybe, you know, who knows if there's a sequel ever, maybe I'll get the chance to do that. Now, the one of the things that stand out is the location of the festival. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, was it hard to secure that location? Walk us through how you guys got that location for shooting. Sure. So, uh, there, one of one of our producers, uh, who's a brilliant fellow named Ezra Vanitas, who also was one of my producers on my first film, Follow, he he jokes, he says, like, Owen came to me and said, well, I've got this horror film, and it's all basically in one location. But it turns out to make that location, we have to film in 12 different places. <laughs> and and that's kind of true. So we did, we we. We basically took a lot that does uh, some of the Renaissance festivals here in, in Central Texas, and that was our a central location. Um, and, and then from there, all the individual worlds were kind of made at different places. Yeah. So partially, we'd, we'd you know film out in the woods. Uh, we filmed actually at abandoned buildings at a Texas State Hospital, which was particularly creepy. Um, including some of the, like the theater with the puppets watching movies on a yeah, screen. Yeah, that's in an abandoned building at a Texas state hospital. Wow. Uh, yeah, really wonderfully creepy. Um, so we kind of, uh, in in a lot of ways, manufactured the feeling of one spot. Yeah. Uh, and that was, in, in some ways, that was the biggest budget trick of the whole film. <laughs> Well, you get, you pulled it off. Uh, okay. Now, as you mentioned, Bloodfest is uh, before Bloodfest. You did follow, okay? Yes. Uh, what would you say was the biggest uh, difference going from follow to doing Bloodfest? Well, uh, budget. I mean, I think was a big one. I mean, actually, let me take that back. I would say it's actually Rooster Teeth. So I made follow. Uh, with some cool producers that gave me basically just enough money to make this movie. Mm-hmm. I was very grateful. Um, and then when I made Bloodfest, I was able to work with Rooster Teeth. Now, Rooster Teeth is based here in Austin, Texas as well. They're uh, owned by Warner Media, and they have made all kinds of cool things. They've mm-hmm. made um, 
a couple of sci-fi films on their own. They've made a really wonderful animated show called Ruby. They made a super exciting uh, live-action uh, series called Day 5. Really cool stuff. And basically, they're always making stuff. They're like a, just a tornado of talent. So when they got excited about making this film with me, it, it really tapped me into a community of filmmakers and creators, some of whom, by coincidence, I had worked with while making my first film, who had gone on to get a job with this wonderful company here in Austin. Yeah. Um, and that was great. Uh, but it was just like, I think that was a big one of just like being able to work with all these creative minds yeah. who were thinking about what we could do and just throwing out ideas and ideas and making posters of movies that didn't exist for the props. And that was just super exciting. Now, there's a quote and follow love never dies a natural death what was the inspiration for that message and it actually is in the beginning of the film that's right yes um well you know basically like you know with with follow so i based follow off a short story i write i write novels and short stories as well and uh i based that off a short story of mine that was basically um it was basically like going into the idea of like what is an expression of love mm -hmm. this might go a little bit silly or weirdly theological but um you know there's a story in the old testament about abraham the patriarch abraham mm -hmm. uh being uh told to take his youngest child uh and isaac, isaac and yeah. sacrifice yeah. it yeah that's the most one of the most famous stories yeah yes one of the most famous stories and one of those ones that i am like fascinated and and disturbed and attracted to all at the same time when god says if if you love me you will do the unthinkable and murder your child um and i was like what what does that mean that is so many different things and, and so you know the origin of the story of follow is a, a woman saying to her lover if you love me you'll put this gun in your mouth and pull the trigger don't wow. worry it's not loaded you just have to trust me. And, uh, and, and so there's something about like, whoa, what happens with love? What happens with that kind of love where you, you love someone so much that you're willing to jump past logical thinking or even self-preservation? Exactly. Um, and, and what happens after that? It's like the trust game where you're in a circle and you fall back and trust that your people, your friends are going to, not let you fall yeah, uh yeah. now you said you write you write novels short stories and you obviously write screenplays uh i would assume that writing novels as opposed to screenplays it is completely two different worlds am i right it is it really is it's a funny thing i think through the years they've started to impact each other the skill sets of both um in fact right now i'm working on the screenplay version of one of my novels. Okay. Um, and that's kind of a fascinating experience, but they very much are. I mean, partially because a screenplay or a film is a, is a visual experience. Yes. You only know what someone's thinking by the expression they give or the words they say. Within a novel, I can dive into someone's thoughts. I can mm -hmm. spend pages sort of flowing through their thoughts. Uh, and that's a, just a different, it's a more internal uh, art form in that way. 
Now, uh, was Follow your first directing uh, feature film? Yes, it was my first feature, yeah. I did some shorts, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was my first feature. Now, was there, were you nervous going into direct your first feature film as opposed to doing shorts up until that point? No, 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 no. Yeah, I was nervous as shit. I was like, <laughs> really, really nervous. Uh, yeah, it was this weird thing of like, you know, I'd written screenplays and... And I, I, but I was jumping into waters and not knowing how to swim. Um, and, uh, and I knew I didn't know how to swim, uh, but I, I kind of was aware like, well, at this point, the only way to learn is to really get wet. Um, so I, I was very lucky, uh, 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 well, very lucky with all the films I've done to have um, producers and a crew who knew how to do so much. Um, I've, I've always been sort of realizing that I'm just sort of learning in the process. I didn't go to film school. Um, so a lot of what I have to learn is just sort of like as I go. Um, but I, I enjoy doing that. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of like the process of almost drowning. I would think that spending just time on a set and just soaking everything in, how everything is done, even the verbiage that's being used uh, is better than anything a school can offer. You, you know, you might be right. I, I, I didn't go to, to film school, like I said, so I can't quite speak to it. Um, but it does. I did learn so very much. And I, I have had friends who say, save your money for film school and put it towards your first feature. I've heard, I've heard that. But also, I mean, I have a lot of friends who like went to AFI or different film schools, and uh, I'm amazed of what they know and, and the depth of insight. Now, uh, with Follow, as opposed to Bloodfest, there is a, a nice combination of high tension and horror, uh, which can also be very tricky. Uh, what was the challenge in trying to get that right? Oh, gosh. I mean, so much. You know, <laughs> with Follow, we, we made it... Uh, we didn't have many days to film. Um, we didn't have much budget to work with. We didn't have a, a stunt coordinator, so it was, we couldn't really legally do any stunts, which is difficult. Um, uh, but that that game of tension and 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 playing with that, I actually have to credit a lot to definitely like how we directed it and how we 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 paced it and and how we edited it. But you could not achieve that without the work of the actors exactly. and so we were lucky to have like as our leads um noah segan and olivia applegate um and they just made like a lot a lot of the difference in that now i've heard many directors say 70 percent of directing is casting are you on that side of the fence i am and i would love to actually quite honestly i'd love to say i wasn't i'd love to say it's all you know me what? it's all me it's all me. Yeah. Like I give me a, give me a stick and I'll, I'll direct that stick into doing wonders. Um, but it, it is a, it is amazing how much, uh, an actor makes, uh, the, the character come to life and come to life with themselves. Like bring, bring a, it's a particular sense of life to it. Yeah. Um, the casting is so crucial. Now, Follow is a much darker film than Bloodfest, and not I'm talking about any kind of gore or anything, but there, it does have moments of what you would call like levity. Uh, how much of that is something that came naturally, and how much of it was uh, a personal choice that you made? Yeah, well, I mean, so 
I started in comedy and I still do comedy. I still perform comedy and even write some comedy. But comedy was kind of my way into uh, filmmaking in a lot of ways. But I love horror. Um, when I wrote Follow, um, I, I ended up sort of writing these sort of it's dark with these kind of pinpricks of humor in there. And uh, it just seems kind of natural to me, partially because I don't know, that's just the human experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the darkest of moments, we've, we understand the darkness because there's a star up there that's giving us the alternative in some ways. Um, so uh, it just is a natural way. I also find uh, the way of understanding death is kind of by laughing. Um, I don't mean by taking it lightly necessarily. No, no. Yeah. Um, and I, I think maybe that's part of it. It's like sometimes we think that laughing at something means we're taking it lightly. Uh, I don't know. It means we're finding it funny, and that might be something different. La for, I think laughter is a form of stress relief. Uh, a lot of people use it as stress relief. They could be laughing because they're just anxious or nervous as hell. You could laugh because something is just flat out funny. But it's just an emotion that it's really, it can be go either way. Uh, now, in Follow, uh, Quinn and Thana's relationship is really uh, intense. Uh, was there any kind of challenge to crafting uh, their relationship, both in, you know, the process of writing it and then bringing it onto the screen? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, like, in the writing it process, like, I remember showing my ben, then very new wife, the short story when I first wrote it. Uh, and she was like, oh, this is awkward. This happens in our house in South Austin. I, I know what's going on here. Like, <laughs> like well, but she's dead. I'm like, no, you're alive. Um, so that, that was definitely, there was definitely like bringing in uh, maybe an intensification of like uh, my own relationships. And then uh, again, like uh, working with, with Noah and Olivia and having them, um, uh, rehearse together. We didn't have a lot of rehearsal time uh, because of the budget, but they were great about finding uh, that intensity. And basically, it was a realization as we went along. We were a very small crew. We were a small cast, and we learned more and more as we went, but almost from the beginning, that if this was going to work in any kind of way, it would take an, uh, an intimacy uh, of, of being willing to go to these uh, yeah. darker places and 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 intimate places, exactly. um, I, I I love to think of that film as a, being very much a love story. Mm -hmm. um, even though for a large part of it, one of the participants in the love story is a corpse. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, love is strange. Exactly. Go to Gary Oldsman Dracula. The the log line is "Love never dies." Yep. You know. Now let's move to some of uh, your novels. Hollow. Uh, recognized as one of the best books of the year by NPR. What does that type of recognition, what did it do for you in your career? Um, that's a good, good question. You know, um, it was funny. Um, you know, career-wise, I'm not sure what it did for me, honestly. Um, it was really wonderful to hear that. I, I, I found out that, 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 uh, that NPR had awarded that right when I was... I think it was editing Bloodfest and filming Mercy Black. Uh, and I was I was thrilled because novels are uh, my heart's love. Um, but but I'm not sure if it necessarily uh, had, you know, a big paycheck or anything like that come around along with it. 
um, more if anything, it was um, it was just a sweet recognition. Um, I, that movie, that uh, that book particularly was like uh, a really uh, uh, heart work, soul work to write, and and to find out that people uh, enjoyed it meant so much to me. Um, if that makes sense, it makes absolutely sense. It's the recognition as opposed to it putting a monetary value on it. Now, moving forward, you have all these talents and passions, uh, novel writing, script writing, you've directed and whatnot. Do you want to continue doing everything, uh, a little bit of everything moving forward? Or do you want to focus on one or two particular areas? It's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a question I should be asking myself more often. Um, I, I... I love doing it all. Um, and so if I get the opportunity to do it all, I will. So I am still, you know, writing screenplays and, and there are definitely sometimes when I'm writing a story or a screenplay that I think, Oh gosh, there's another director. Oh, she would be perfect to do this one. This is right for this person. Um, and then there are ones that are like, I would love to do this. And I think my skills work with this. So Mm -hmm. I, 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 and I work in, and also I'm doing a, a fun uh, podcast, a hard podcast that I'm, I'm writing and directing for uh, for Rooster Teeth right now that I'm super excited about. Uh, and and so my, I think my joy is to be uh, continue to do it all. Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, let me, I'll do it all. One of your more recent films, Mercy Black. Uh, where did that the concept for Mercy Black come from? So the original concept of Mercy Black actually started way back, uh, back when I was um, when I was working on Follow, and I, Follow was going to be I I said I've been writing for Hollywood, but Follow was going to be my first uh, indie feature that I would direct, mm-hmm. and we had lost uh, financing, and uh, for briefly I was like I don't know we're going to make it what's going to happen, and um, I I was at a party with a friend of mine. And he started telling me about the Slender Man killings, or stabbings, sorry. And, uh, and I had not heard about that. And, and as he was telling me, I was thinking about uh, a, another case that had happened when my mom was a little girl in England. And a, a, a story about a, a girl who had brutally killed two toddlers mm-hmm. and then gone to prison. And then as an adult, when she had a daughter of her own, the press had kind of found her. And she had been under a different name mm-hmm. and perhaps her family didn't know her situation, but everything came out oh, for her. Boy. And it, it sort of struck me, those two stories of like the power, well, first of all, the power of being uh, a 12 year old kid and, and how much we're sort of in between what we know to be reality and what we believe so we're kind of in between like, gosh, we know about the world and we get, you know, the stuff of the world, but we still kind of believe in Santa Claus. Yeah. And so those two stories kind of combined and I started writing uh, Mercy Black. Mm-hmm. Now, the Mercy Black uses a lot of uh, quick uh, cuts, visual triggers. Is that something that you worked very closely with the editor with? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm uh, my, my, my I've worked with the same editor um uh, for for a couple of my films uh, and for follow and for actually same cinematographer and editor for for mercy black 
and for um, follow. And we, Sean and I worked just really well together, uh, just sort of like discovering different aspects that would help cut things up, help add to the tension. Uh, and that was super fun. And then shortly toward the end, when we were, we were finishing it up, I got to, a chance to work with, uh, uh, well, I, not to work, I just basically asked for the advice of C. Robert Cargill, who's a screenwriter of um, Sinister, yeah. and he co-wrote with Scott Derrickson, his, his, the director and his writing partner, um, and uh, Doctor Strange, and, and also, which is coming out soon, uh, The Black Telephone. And, and I was basically like, what do you think? And he had some great suggestions specifically about, like, take some of this one particular story aspect, the backstory, and cut it up more. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Now, Mercy... John was a, the, the, main, the main ingredient behind making all that work. Now, Mercy Black is available on Netflix. Was it a made for? Was it made financed by Netflix? Did they pick it up afterwards? How did Netflix get involved in this? Yeah, so uh, you know, I made it for Blum. You know, it was in Blumhouse. We were originally in, in in that way, and then Netflix came in after the film, or when the film was in post. Okay, basically, the film was in post, and Universal and Netflix came in then. Wow, that's that that's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's nice. It's I, I I very much appreciate that. Now, what are your thoughts on this sort of surprise? Uh, you know, the way it was released and having all these big studios come in and Netflix and Universal and Blumhouse and wanting to take this movie. Uh, I mean, that must be that's a you got to admit that's a pretty good ego boost. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty funny ego boost. Um, I I I kind of I kind of find like an ego boost is almost like a little bit of a well, it's like a double espresso, right? <laughs> it feels great for about two hours, <laughs> and then you get real and sleep. Fades away. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, you know, um, it, that was really fun, and I, I'm so excited, and I still get very excited anytime I see. You know, someone online talking about enjoying this film or that film that I've made. That's that's always a thrill. Um, and, and I actually love that. Um, I find, though, as much as I love that, what I really love, what actually ends up really feeding me is uh, is making things. So um, I am as eager as I am to celebrate any of those aspects I'm like I just want to keep making things. I, I love that process. I love being in the editing room. I love being on set. I love being in front of my laptop with a blank page. Um, I love working with all these individuals to sort of make a weird world and a scary thing come true. Yeah. Um, that's a thrill. Now, to add to your list, you mentioned this earlier as well, you were noted as one of Austin's top comics. I mean, your talents just never cease to end. Uh, well, what, what, what was that like? Uh, well, so, I mean, I got to say, Austin, Austin's been very good to me. So I've been in Austin since I came here for college back in the 90s. And right out of college, I basically, uh, I had one job, and then I, I realized I wanted to write a book. <laughs> and I was working on this book and I thought, ah, I know what in my heart I want to be a writer. If I could, if I could just not have to pay rent, <laughs> then I could have more time to write. Yeah. 
So I, I quit I quit my job. I, I, I left my apartment and I moved into a VW camper. Wow. And basically, like, I went swimming at the free Barton Springs in the morning and showered there. And then I'd go to coffee shops all day, and especially with free refills. And then I would do comedy gigs at night to pay my way. And the comedy gigs kept going for me, which I'm very lucky. And I started working and doing comedy gigs at the Alamo Draft House, making fun of movies yeah. uh, with Sign of Show, Master Pancake Theater, with mm. my friends John Erler, who I still do shows with. And John is keeping Master Pancake online during the whole pandemic. He's been doing a brilliant job. Uh, and Jerem Pollitt, who is like the Elvis of my life, you know, <laughs> in, uh, inspiration. And, and just doing that was great. Like Austin supported me by watching these comedy shows while I was struggling to write and while I was trying to make the, the stories and the, the novels and the screenplays. And, um, I've just been very lucky. Um, so I still do comedy and it still feeds me in a really beautiful way. I, I still get a really big kick out of it. And I'm just very great, honestly, very grateful to, uh, to Austin. Are you, uh, uh, are you a native Texan? No, no, I was born in England. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, moved, I moved to Texas when I was a little kid, like uh, about three years old, a little less than that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Moved wow. to Texas. Wow. That's great. Now, yeah. uh, what should we look uh, soon in the future coming from uh, your direction? What do you have in the yeah. works? Well, I, I, with, uh, with Rooster Teeth, we are coming out with um, this uh, podcast, a narrative podcast called Beneath which is basically the story of an expedition that goes down to the Titanic. Okay. And finds that not everything there is dead. Oh. Is so this a horror? I mean, I mean. It's a horror podcast. Oh, yeah. Right. That's and nice. And it's a blast to make. Um, I don't know. You know, I remember reading Stephen King's comments about how horror radio was basically the height of horror. And, uh, and I didn't get it until I started making this podcast. I'm like, oh, it is so scary to hear a sound and not know exactly where it's coming from, you know? Yeah, H.G. Wells knows a little bit about something about that with War of the Worlds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I'm doing man. that. And, uh, and then I've got some other things in the works. I've been doing some TV stuff and uh, and more stuff that I can't quite talk about, but I'm, I'm cool. excited about it. That's awesome. Oh, and I want to thank you so much for joining us. This has been so much fun, and we have a lot of stuff in common. Uh, I... I'm just impressed that you know the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. I, can you uh, yeah, oh, yeah. see if I have my picture here? Oh, can you hold on for one yeah, second? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see it. I'm a huge Warriors fan. So, being a, a Warriors fan, you might, might know Michael Beck. Yeah. So this my framed photo of Michael Beck signed. Oh, man. That is so awesome. Yeah. My favorite scene in the Warriors is when they come across the baseball furies and they go into Central Park. Yes. Duh, that was badass, you know? So cool. Good, because I'm sick of running from these wimps. <laughs> I can quote that movie all day long. Oh, and thank you so much for being our guest. This has been an absolute blast uh, talking to you. Uh, thank you so much. Any final thoughts you want to share before we go? No, I was going to say thank you for what you're doing. Uh, you know, I, I, it's such a bizarre time the last few years and, yeah. and, and, and such a, 
a weird time in the world and weird time in America. I just love that, you know, you're supporting like weirdness and creation Absolutely. about the idea of like, let's take all the, the nightmares that are coming our way and craft them into something beautiful and fun and, and then talk about it, Thank you, you know, like let's throw you. around that ball of energy and, uh, and make something good out of it. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. That means a lot. And I want to thank all of our viewers. Thank you to Owen. Guys, stay safe. Uh, until next time, on behalf of Owen Edgerton and myself, stay walking. Good night.